0: Hi, Katie. Hello. Thanks for coming on the podcast. Really appreciate it.
1: You're so welcome.
0: So, yeah, just to kick us off, do you want to just take us through, like, your background and your journey throughout your career up until uh, present day?
1: Absolutely. So, I don't know how far back you want me to go, but I'm going to start when I was 13 because I think that was the most pivotal time that kind of led me to where I am right now. Sure. So, pretty much... um, At the age of 13, my parents split up. I mean, prior to that, I was already struggling with stress and anxiety, but I didn't realise because I was a kid. How do you realise that? Yeah. But the minute my parents split up when I was 13, it really, really spiked quite badly. And that led me down a very, very difficult path with just managing stress, managing my anxiety. Um, It came out in really different ways throughout my whole, like, teenage years in particular. So... I think from the age of 13, I just didn't cope well with stress very well. I couldn't go to school. I really hated it. I started, like, hating having people look at me. Um, like, I literally didn't go to school for a whole term because I really didn't like the idea of anyone looking at me. I was worried that people were going to judge me. Um, and so that... So,
0: so you what? So when you say you didn't go to school for a whole term, like, how how did you get away with that?
1: <laughs> I am one of the most stubborn people you'll meet. So, I mean, it's equality. Um, at that time, um, you know, my mum was a single mum. She was going through a divorce she was stressed out she was having to work full-time and she physically couldn't get me to school like I just physically wouldn't go
0: right
1: like I just hated it um and it was just because I was really stressed and anxious like I just really hated it at that time I think we'd moved houses like three times um I'd moved into state so this is obviously when I was back living in Australia so we moved from one state to another state and it was just my mum was extremely stressed out Um, And she didn't manage her stress very well. And if you're stressed out, it's really hard. Just thinking as an adult, like now I'm an adult, if I'm stressed out, it's really hard for me to help anyone else out if they're stressed out. So my mum was like doing the best she could with the tools she had, right? But I kind of got away with not going to school for a term. Um, Then when I finally went back to school, I hated it so much. Like I wasn't engaged. I found it boring. And then really sadly, around the age of 15, I ended up developing quite a severe eating disorder. Right. Um, and I look back now and I think that was just a mismanagement of stress and anxiety. That was a mismanagement of I felt like my life was out of control. I couldn't handle a lot. Um, and the one thing I could control was what I could eat. And so I went from being a very fit, active person, young lady, you could say, yeah. into being very unwell. I ended up with really bad insomnia. Um, I lost so much weight that it was, you know, I think I went from like, naturally being like 45 50 kilos down to like 35 so it was really I was was painfully thin right um and it kind of went unchecked in my family or it was kind of like the family secret so no one really spoke to me about it they spoke about it behind my back and I didn't really get any help um so I kind of went on this journey without having an eating disorder through most of my teenage years until my early 20s um, and so that was just you know, one thing when I look back now to where I am, which is pretty happy, pretty fit, fit, and active, and pretty like you know, I'm running a business, I'm feeling pretty good about myself. But I look back now and I'm like, I was so unhappy, I was so stressed out, but I couldn't have put it into words. Mm-hmm. Um, and so even if someone offered me help, I would have probably been like, no, I'm fine. No, I'm fine. I wouldn't have really accepted it because I didn't think there was something wrong until I was around 18, 19. Yeah. Um, you know, so I finished school, did all that stuff. I think the biggest moment when I was 15, and when I look back at it, I remember being sat down at school being told, we don't think school's for you. And I remember, like, I'm like super stubborn. And if you're going to tell me I can't do something, I'm just going to do it despite you. Right. Um, and so I think I went into, and I think that's really kind of triggered the eating disorder, or it was just like a perfect storm. Um, and so I pretty much like buckled down. Because in Australia, at the end of year 10 is when you can go off and do a trade or you can leave school. I think it's before A-levels. So it was kind of saying, we don't think A-levels is for you, from what I understand of the UK system.
0: Right, yes, because in the UK it's... um, I think they've changed it actually the last few years, but when I was in school, um, this is like 2007, you're 16 and you're in year 11. Yeah. And then you can either stay on for two more years, do six form A-levels, or you can go to like college or you you can can just go to work.
1: So... That was That's kind of like Australia. Um, I was young for my year, so it could be the same kind of, kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but I re- remember at that moment, it felt like I was standing at a crossroad and I was like, I can either choose to go finish off my school and get into university and give myself what I felt a better chance at just work and all that kind of stuff or I can go and get a job, which I didn't want to do at that time. So I went in and chose to do equivalent to the A-levels, yeah. Um, but that caused a lot of stress as well because I really, I, I, when I went back into school, so it was year nine or year eight when I came back into school um, after my term off, I didn't really pay attention, so I really had a lot of, I, don't, I, I swear my teachers just passed me because, like, we don't have to deal with this girl again, like, I don't want to deal with her, just pass her into the next year, so I really don't think I should have passed a lot of my schooling. And so when I went into my final year, I had to really buckle down and really understand the work and what I had to do, so that was quite stressful. What was um, that
0: like, by the way? Like, so, so you you sort of disappear. Like, were you seeing friends in that time? No. Or? So you completely like shut off from. Yeah. The world.
1: So it was right when I moved from Adelaide to Melbourne, and I didn't really know anyone. I didn't really have any friends, and the friends I did have, I pushed them away. So I was just at home by myself all through the day until my mum got home.
0: Right. So yeah, because I had um I had a few kids in our year that did something like that I can't remember why but we didn't see them for like two months Mm -hmm. and then they just sort of reappeared yeah so so was that so when you went back in them you didn't have any friends you didn't you you sort of I moved
1: schools yeah schools
0: so so you're like you're obviously the new kid and there's also this like I imagine people were saying like
1: where have you been sort of thing Mm -hmm. like you've I moved schools after that school so I went to one school went two days and refused to go back And then I was like, I want to move schools, just so I didn't have to deal with that. So I moved up to a different school.
0: Oh, okay.
1: So that was... And then, but the school knew, and a lot of the people around, and my teachers knew, so the kids ended up finding out that I hadn't gone to school for a term.
0: Yeah, and kids can be cruel, right?
1: Kids can be cruel, and especially with the last name Maycock, I can tell you what—it's very common <laughs> here to have cock in your name. But in Australia, I gotta tell you, I was teased quite mercilessly for my for my last name. So yeah, they'll
0: find anything. Like my my last name is Rolls. You can't really do much of it, but you still get like
1: you can find something. I'm sure. My headmaster
0: was called um, uh, Mr. Dick. Believe So or that's or a not. hard name, especially
1: know. being a teacher. That's a hard name.
0: Yeah, one um one kids he because uh, his name was his name was paul dick believe it or not like i mean
1: I don't want to laugh but it's really hard yeah to it, was, it, to.
0: it was it the was f- the funny thing was i remember being um in like year four year five and we found out because it, it we already knew what school we were going to go to in mm-hmm. like year four and uh we found out he was called mr dick and we were like we're never going to be able to like respect him or like not laugh mm-hmm. he's actually the most scary person i've ever met <laughs> i was like, we, the first day at school in year seven, we were like, yeah, this is going to be hilarious. Met him, literally, like, absolutely no way. I don't find it funny anymore. Would, <laughs> would never laugh, would never, ever laugh at this guy's face because it's so scary. Yeah. But, yeah, um, that's interesting, though.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, I think there was a lot that went into school and stuff like that. Just, I got bullied a little bit, but nothing crazy. But I think when I was around 18, 19, so after high school, I graduated high school. I did quite well. I actually won a few awards, which I was, I'm pretty proud of, At the fact that I didn't really do proper high school until eleven year 11 and 12. Yeah. Um, but I still had a really bad eating disorder. I still couldn't. like. I, it's really hard to explain what it's like, but it's like having a voice in your head telling you, don't eat that, you don't deserve to eat that. Like It's crazy with some of the stuff that your brain is telling you at that point in time. And then obviously you link positive outcomes from losing weight which is just such a vicious negative feedback cycle and sorry
0: sorry do do you remember like because I'm always interested in this this sort of stuff like turning points was it like a day when you were sort of woke up and you had an eating disorder or was it like was it like a process of like you were um slowly like forming like bad habits and that sort of stuff Mm -hmm. and then it sort of
1: it, no, it was, for me, I, I I can't say for everyone out there, but for me, it was, I think there was a one-month period where everything just went a little bit crazy and a little bit hectic. I think, like, my high school boyfriend broke up with me, right. and I think, like, I'd had a few fights with friends, and I think a couple of other things was happening, and I think it was just, my life at that time was quite chaotic, just because my parents were splitting up, like, I didn't really see my dad anymore, um, my mum was really overwhelmed and stressed out, I think my brother had just moved back in with us, and he was dealing with, like, drug addiction. Um, so I think it was just, a per- like, like I said, it was a perfect storm. Then getting told, like, you're not smart enough for school. So there was a lot of, like, you know, negative things happening in my life at the time. And so I think because of the chaos, it was like, well, I can control my eating. And then it was an outlet for me to be able to find that control that I felt like I'd lost. Um, and I think it was around the time as well my friends and I started going to the gym. So it all was just, it was just a perfect storm of how it all came about. So I would say it happened within a month because... And then it was like sheer determination of what I'm going to do and what not I'm going to, what I'm not going to do and all that kind of stuff. Um, but yeah, I mean, I still managed to finish school and do quite well. But I think after that, I couldn't go to university straight away just because I didn't have the energy left in me to do to do that. So I took what we would call a gap year. But I think for me, it was just like. Don't be anxious for a year. <laughs> so yeah. I try not to be anxious for a year. So I think I yeah, I went and worked full time in like bakeries and like coffee shops and stuff like that. And then I went into went into university. But I do remember around the time of like the age of like 18, 19, I really asked my parents, I was like, hey, like I'm really struggling struggling with this eating disorder. I know we don't talk about it, but it is something that's really impacting me. I really want a lot of help. Um, both my parents turned around to me and said, oh, we can't afford to help you. And so then it wasn't spoken about again. So I was like, okay, like no one can afford to help me. All right. And I don't I don't really know how much it was going to cost at that time to get help. But it was just another like moment in my life where I was like, all right, like I've got to get through this. And then unfortunately I suffered until I was around 22. But it's like I woke up, at the, like the month that it kind of hit, I woke up one month and I was like, one day and I was like I don't want to do this anymore I just like I got into university I finished university I did really well at university um I was doing a double degree um and I remember in my final year at university I was working at a cafe and I lost my job and I was like well that's really unfortunate um but I was going to the gym and I'd had a couple of connections at the gym and they're like why don't you set up a nutrition business in the gym I'm like well I'm not a fully qualified nutritionist yet They're like that's all right we can deal with it um so what in my final year at university still had my eating disorder um still doing my double degree but I set up my first business which was absolutely crazy but I do remember in that moment waking up going how can I give nutrition advice about how to be healthy when I'm not even doing the right things for myself and so it was that moment of like I I don't want to live like this anymore I don't want to feel this way and I need the energy and I like I felt like such a hypocrite to the people that I was supporting in my nutrition business. Um, and at that stage, my business was doing quite well. I would like grown it into a couple of different gyms. At this stage, we we're about to go interstate with it. I had quite a few little employees, um, and it was just not worth it. So that all came about. But I think setting up my first business while doing a double degree at university was kind of one of those moments where I look back at my. Like, Good effort, but I uh, wouldn't recommend doing that. It was pretty, cra- it was pretty chaotic. Um,
0: that seems to be a running theme, by the way. Like it's br- yeah. it, se- it seems like
1: you haven't heard anything yet. It's going to get it's, okay. It's a bit more okay. interesting. I was yeah. carry on. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, so I mean, when I first set up my business, I was I mean. I was only twenty-one, twenty-two at the time. I must be twenty-two, and yeah, it was just one of those moments where I kind of fell into it. And there was such a need for it, which was really cool. So, um, yeah, so I did that for a few years. So, I ran what was called, what did I call my business? Taking Shape Nutrition. That's what I called my first business. I don't know how I forgot that, but I forgot it. So, I created Taking Shape Nutrition. I had multiple little employees. I was working out of the gym. And then I made, overcame my eating disorder, which was really, really tough because I didn't go and seek professional help, which I wouldn't recommend. Like if you are struggling with an eating disorder or any type of mental health issue, don't try and battle it yourself. This isn't me going like, look at me, I did it all by myself. This is actually me going, I had to do it by myself. I I would have preferred not to do it by myself. Um, But yeah, so I set up that first business and then I made a terrible mistake when I was around 24, 25. So because I was expanding at such a level, I didn't have... And my degree had nothing to do with business. Like I mean, I did a degree in nutrition and advanced physiology. It had nothing to do with business. So I had no idea how to run a business, set up a business, structure a business. I had no idea. I just knew that I could sell and I knew how to write diet plans and I knew how to like write all different types of diet plans. So it wasn't just weight loss diet plans. Like I did gut health diet plans. I was supporting people with type 1 diabetes and stuff like that. So... I knew how to do that, but I didn't know how to run a business, and I didn't know how to read contracts properly and didn't really understand the lingo.
0: How did you learn how to sell? Like, that it was just just, natural? Or? Yeah, I
1: felt like that was natural. Not that I would ever say that to other salespeople, but, I mean, most of you are listening to salespeople, so <laughs> it did feel like it was a natural natural sort of process. But I had absolutely no, like, training at that point in my life.
0: Some people are just natural salespeople. Like, I, I, I definitely wasn't. Mm-hmm. Um when I got into sales, I I, I realised that some people it's just a grind.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, I think it's sort of like being an athlete in a way. It's like, you know, some people, you know, you meet those people who are just like utter wankers because they can just, they, 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 they'll they play tennis well and then they've never played football but they'll be one of the best players and yeah. then they'll go play golf and they'll be one of the best players. I think it's like that with sales. Yeah. Um and uh, and then some people just have to grind, but for sure. Well,
1: I think for me it was out of necessity. Like I got thrown into the deep, and it was like you have to do this, or else you aren't going to be able to pay your bills. Mm. Like I'd lost my job, and that was just well, this is the quickest way to make money because I went to go out to job interviews, and they n- none of them like fitted what I needed because I was because work- univer- my university was quite crazy. Like I was at uni like five days a week, so I had to have a job that could fit around that, and um. So it kind of just naturally came about. I was meant to be a little part-time business. It ended up being very full time mm-hmm. hours. Um, but, yeah, I think, you know, for me, the sales came naturally, but the business didn't. Like, the business acumen didn't. And then I ended up going into business with um, somebody from the same gym. So they were – I think they were a manager there – And they kind of came up to me and said, "Hey, you're doing really well." I mean, they saw me having employees, they saw me expanding, and they were helping me. Like they were just kind of like a natural mentor. And then he, then this guy was like, "Hey, let's join forces and we can like I can support you with the business side and I can teach you the business side, and we can expand a little bit quicker and you can learn along the way." And I was like, "That sounds amazing." I have no idea. and so we went off to the accountant. I signed, signed some pieces of paper. And the next day, the guy turned around to me and was like, okay, off you go. you got to go sell. And I was like, what are you talking about? I haven't had to sell a diet plan in ages. I've just been managing all these people and, like, growing, like, the business. And he's like, oh, now I own the business. You're just an employee of the business. I would literally in one day signed over my successful business to this guy um, and didn't realize what I'd done. So that's why you got to read contracts, my friends. That was probably the dumbest thing I've ever done. How did
0: you react? Were you like in a face-to-face meeting with, with this guy? Or?
1: I lost my shit. Yeah, I later. lost my absolute <laughs> shit. So then because all the employees only knew me, they didn't know him, I then went in and went and fired all, the empo- all my employees. And I said, hey, I'm so sorry, the business doesn't, isn't running anymore. Right. And I walked away. So he ended up with nothing and ended up with all these bills. Wow. Yeah. Like, so overnight, he gained a business and lost a business within probably 48 hours. But I had to dissolve my whole business. And at that point, I was very, very disheartened and very broken from the whole situation. So I ended up going away for a little bit just because I was like, I need to just regather my thoughts. And I was just kicking myself. Like, I felt like an absolute idiot. Like, so some of you out there might be thinking, like, how could you be so stupid? I'm like, trust me, I ask myself that question every day. Um, But I ended up going to Europe for a little bit and I came back and I was like, you know what would be really good is if I go and get a proper sales job or something like that because I think that will teach me business acumen. Like I thought that would teach me business acumen. So I went off to go get all these, like I was applying for like sales jobs, I was applying for any job. And then as you do, you go see a recruiter and you go, I want a job. And they're like, okay, have you ever thought about recruitment? Yeah. And so that ended up happening. So I ended up... Getting into recruitment right after that, and it was probably one of the best experiences of my life. Yet it was one of the toughest as well. I ended up working for this amazing company. Like they were absolutely fantastic. I was I felt really fortunate to, be, to being able to work with this recruitment company because at the time they were small, they were boutique. They weren't like that old school recruitment that you can hear about. They were quite like flexible, um, and they were really supportive. Um, So I joined, what was I doing? I was doing medical device sales um, rep recruitment. So I'd go find little sales reps for medical device companies and stuff like that. And I had an absolute blast. Like I thought it was one of the funnest jobs I ever had. The people that I got to meet was just amazing. Um, The worst part about that job, I'll say, is so their head office was based in Sydney and I was based in Melbourne. And I was the only Melbourne recruiter. And so in my first year, I think I was in Sydney for three months training just to like learn the ropes and stuff. And then I went back to Melbourne. I was completely by myself in an office by myself. And so I didn't have that consistent training. And I think that was one of the biggest detriments to my role. However, when I did go into recruitment, I was one of the youngest people in the team and I mean, at that time, it was obviously, it still is a male dominated industry. I was fortunate for the company I worked with. Yes, I was one of the only women there. However, there was still some women in there still doing recruitment and still like smashing it. Some of the women that I, I met in this company were absolutely smashing it. Like number one, like recruiter in the team and stuff like that. And I was lucky to be mentored by one of the women. Um, but I do remember people coming up to me like, "You're not going to make a deal within the first like year of your like year of recruitment. Like you probably won't last." And there was like I found out there was like bets on me, on when within I was going to leave. Yeah, when I was going to leave. <laughs> so me being stubborn and being like super competitive, I'm like, oh, "I'm going to make you all cry. Like I am going to make you all cry." So I think within my first, so when I first went into recruitment, I don't know what it's like here, but you had like a grace period where for three months, if you don't hit your target, that's completely fine. But if you make a deal, you get, I think it was like 40% of everything you have billed. And I was like, that's amazing. I think I was the only person in the company that I was only allowed two months and they got rid of it because the first two months I like, like I think I did three or four deal or two to three four deals or something like that. So I think in my first two months, I was, I think I'd build like 60 odd K. Really? In my first two months. So, that, so they give you that.
0: Um, I've never heard of that before, actually. I, 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 I've i heard of the, the grace period where, for example, there's no threshold, like they don't take that first two, two K or five K or whatever. But um Yeah, well, I had no threshold. So it's just sort of to like encourage you, but they're but they're like, it'll no you you it will make you work harder, but you're probably not gonna actually make any money sort of thing.
1: Yeah, so I remember <laughs> I think within the first two weeks I remember calling my director, not my manager, the director of the company. I was like, I just made my first placement and he's like, You did what now? <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, Yeah, I made my first placement and He's like, Oh my god, and then another one came in and then everyone was like, Oh, it's just rookie luck, it's just rookie luck and I was like all right, so the next month I just worked a little bit harder, and I build another two, three. I like I place another two, three people, um, and yeah, they were just like, "Oh my god!" And so I started really making waves within the company, and I think I. I ended up just working, like, really, really hard just to prove myself. Like, I really wanted to prove that I wasn't... It wasn't just, like, rookie luck. It just... It, like, I was really good at the job.
0: What were you doing then? So, apart from, obviously, working hard and long hours, I imagine. Mm-hmm. Like, what What do you feel like you were doing compared to the other recruiters to make you this, like, anomaly where you're, you've started so fantastically well?
1: I didn't allow my mindset to say it was hard I was just like I just gotta make a phone call I just gotta make another phone call and I had no fear of BD like that was not I didn't have a, like I literally sat down with like a, I had um obviously we had a CRM it was a terrible CRM I can't remember what it was called but it was the worst CRM I ever, ever experienced but I remember having like I printed out or I got like a booklet of all the medical device companies from A to Z and I just called every single one of them like every single one of them I just called and so I just picked up jobs really easy um it wasn't easy but I mean I, would, I had no fear of picking up the phone I think that was probably the biggest difference I had no fear of picking up the phone I had no f- I had no idea like like what worked and what didn't work so I just tried everything right and I also then was just super stubborn I was like I want to make everyone know that I'm really good at this
0: did you have a script no. Or, so, oh, they
1: tried to give me one. I didn't ever follow it.
0: So you just made stuff up. Yeah. And you were in business because it's it, that's fascinating to me because most salespeople and recruitment people I come across, one one of the main reasons people have cold call anxiety, in my opinion, is because they they're so scared that if the prospect says something, they won't have an answer for it, and they'll be like, uh, um, "Oh, I just made it up." Yeah
1: i would just be like, oh, if I didn't know it, i would just be like, oh, I don't know that. It's so my first couple of days. Like, let me get back to you. And I think I remember, so my director was super chilled out. Like, he didn't care if he made 101 mistakes. He was like, I don't care if you make 101 mistakes. You go, do We've got your back. Like, do you? And so, like, my director was super chilled out. He's like, I don't care if you go on and tell them the random stuff. Like, he was like, I encourage you to say random things just to lower that, lower their guard. So, like, I'm like, hey, it's Katie, like, blah, 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 blah. And they're like, how are you? I'm like, yeah, good, just had, like, a burger. They're like, what the heck is this <laughs> girl doing? Like, I did the weirdest stuff. Um, And, like, obviously that works sometimes. It doesn't work every time. Pattern interrupts. Time.
0: They're the they're the, uh, the thing that's in, in uh, well, very popular themselves at the moment, aren't they? Pattern interrupts, just saying random stuff. And yeah,
1: I don't know. I just did it naturally, though. Maybe
0: you were on the first. Maybe you invented maybe, it. Maybe
1: I invented it. Um, but, yeah, I just did really random stuff. But I just had no fear. I think that was a really big thing. And I think sometimes, especially in recruitment, you can just let fear creep in. And I think the difference that I had was I had no fear. I just had everything to prove. I had nothing to lose and everything to prove. So I was just like, I don't care. I'm going to do this. And, you know, if I go back to my uni days, I remember <laughs> this is a funny story. So when I was, so I went to one university and I didn't like that university. So I went to another university, but I didn't have the prerequisites for that university. So like, oh, you're going to have to do a bridging year. And I was like, there is no way I'm doing a bridging year. I ain't doing another year of university when I've already done that year of university. And I was just like, you're going to let me in with the prerequisites that I've got and the year of university that I've got. And the guy's like, I don't think I can do that. I'm like, trust me, you will. Like, it'd be fine. He's like, I'm so intrigued how this is going to work. He walked me around to all the lecturers that I would have had to have, go to lectures for and like all the professors and stuff and I just talked my way in I didn't have the prerequisites for this university but I got in I think sometimes you just gotta really believe in yourself I don't know if that's relatable to anyone but I definitely had the gift of the gab and was just like in my mind well this is what I want so I'm gonna go do it and nothing got in my way so
0: this is what I find interesting because so so when you were working in recruitment Mm -hmm. and you're obviously clearly a natural salary communicator because mm-hmm. otherwise you wouldn't have been able to do what you, what you did. But did you have anxiety outside of recruitment in your general yeah. life?
1: Yeah, so my life at that stage was still quite... So work actually was quite a saviour for me. So during that time, I was in a terrible relationship. It was absolutely horrific. It was just an awful relationship. So going to work was kind of a, my safe zone. Um, so I think that really played a role into me like just I was able to zone out everything that was happening at home and go into work and actually smash it but then I'd come home and I was just super anxious and super stressed out however my fear of failure and my fear of not being good at something also played a role in it and this is where it kind of becomes a little tricky because I pushed myself so hard to be perfect or the best like rookie or whatever it was I didn't allow myself any like allow myself like any allowances for failure or anything like that, but I was really struggling at home at that stage as well. And it always felt like, when's the other shoe going to drop? So I, even though I was, ha- I was smashing it at work, I was always worried. Like, am I, like, is is this going to last? Like, I know re- recruitment's rings around, like, swings and roundabouts, right? So it's not like I had a great month every month, but I still did quite well into my first year of recruitment. Like, I won Rookie of the Year. I was at the point where I only had six months, and I was starting to like outbill Um, Some of the other recruiters who had like six months on, like I had a whole year, I had six months. Um, But that still, but I had such a tough time at home. Like I was, I just moved out of home. I was living with this guy. I was dating this guy. That was just a terrible relationship. Um, And it was extremely stressful. Like one of, uh, a very, very tough relationship. But also because that was failing, I had to be good at work. Like it was just one of those things that just, how my mindset worked at the time. And so I put a lot of pressure on myself to make work good because home life was so shit. Um, And so what ended up happening after my first year in recruitment, I ended up going on holidays. And this is when everything started to unravel for me. So I had the most stellar first year, like dream of a first year in recruitment. Like it was amazing. And then I went on holidays. And I remember the first two days of, of this holiday, I was in Fiji. I couldn't get out of bed for the first two days actually no it was the first four days I couldn't get out of bed like even if I tried I just couldn't I was exhausted it was like an exhaustion that I like I'd never experienced in my life like it was absolutely insane like I was I got really sick but I couldn't put my finger on what it was I just couldn't get out of bed I felt really lethargic I felt nauseous just everything wasn't didn't feel good so I thought I picked up a bug and I was like oh okay like I picked up a bug um you know I'll get over it. So after four days, I was able to get out of bed. But then I started getting other really random symptoms. Like I was getting really bad stomach issues. I start And so I was just like, oh, I've picked up like a stomach bug in Fiji. Like I've got something else. And then on the way home from Fiji, I ended up with this giant all on my face. And I was like, I must just be really run down. And that was the beginning of a really really tough time for me so that was the beginning stages of Do you know what I don't think my body's coping with the pressure and the stress I've put myself under because did you
0: um so when you went to Fiji though so, so were you like fine and then it was almost like you pulled the handbrake up and then your body was like right okay we can shut down now something yep.
1: yeah that's exactly what happened because you've also got to remember that I did it I guess I had a holiday in between get taking shape and recruitment but it wasn't a big break, and then it was, like, you must get a job now. Like, you must get a job now. And so there was never really any time to, like, heal from all the other stuff. And just to put this into context as well, which I kind of skipped past, but even when I was at university... Because I was doing, like, a double degree, half the time I had two other jobs, even before I started running my first business. So I was always doing stuff. So at the end of the year, I was always sick. Like, my doc- I went to the doctors, like, every year, at the end of every year, with the shingles. And he's like, I've never met anyone under the age of 21 that's had the shingles four times. And I was just like, yeah, yeah, I must just be like an anomaly or whatever. Like I just didn't really care. Might just make me better. But I would, I would, I would hit a wall every Christmas. I'd be so sick for like a good six weeks every Christmas. Like one year, I ended up in hospital with kidney stones. Um, this was during um university days. But I was always quite like healthy. And then I, and when I did get sick, it was like have some really weird stuff. Like have the shingles where you can't get out of bed for like six weeks, and have like. Um, like kidney stones and just like really random stuff. And then, but then when I went to Fiji after my recruitment incident, I was just like, incident experience maybe. (laughs) Um, I ended up just getting, I was so sick. And then it just ended up progressively becoming so much worse. So my second year of recruitment was awful because my health completely plummeted. I wasn't able to focus. I couldn't concentrate. I started, I actually thought at one stage, I was like, I think I've got dementia like really early onset dementia because I couldn't remember anything. Like I'd be on a call and I'm like I have no idea who I'm on the phone to, phone with. I would forget. Like mid conversation I'm like who am I on the phone to? Like what are we talking about? Like it was terrifying. Like I would it was like I would just lose my thought and it wasn't because I was distracted. I just couldn't take in information. Um my anxiety peaked as well. So during this time I had to travel like an hour and a half to get to work every day. Like an hour and a half there and an hour and a half back. But I was getting panic attacks every time I went on the train. I didn't know why. I just started having, like, these really extreme panic attacks.
0: Um, What what do you you mean by panic attacks? So so how was that manifesting itself, though?
1: So I remember going onto the train. It happened every time I went on the train. Um, And sometimes it was worse than others. But it would would feel like the whole world was collapsing in on me. And I didn't know whether I was going to faint, vomit, pass out. Like, I didn't know. Like, I just felt like everything would, like, it felt like everything would, Everything became really small and I couldn't breathe. Um, and I had to get off the train. Like, I was like, I remember this poor guy was sitting in front of me. He's like, oh my gosh, this girl's like having a panic attack. But, and I was trying to keep my shit together because I really didn't want anyone to know. Because at this stage, I'm a very proud person. I don't want anyone to know I'm not coping. Like, even strangers. I didn't want strangers to know I wasn't coping. So I was like, I'm fine, I'm fine. And, but I started having these extreme panic attacks and, my anxiety was really heightened. And I think it was just everything. Like, I really wanted to be successful at work, which I was. But my relationship was so bad. But it just... Then when I started getting sick, I couldn't do my job. That was my saviour at that point in time. So I had nothing I had nothing at that stage as well. So my anxiety was so bad because I was like, OK, with this failing relationship, I've got... I now can't do the job that I actually love. Like, I really loved working in recruitment. I found it quite enjoyable. Um... And so that just kept on happening. And then probably around eight months after that, I mean, at this stage, I'd spent like 30000 Australian dollars just trying to figure out what was wrong with me. Like, I was having really bad health issues. I mean, we're talking like one day I woke up, my left hand was three times the size of itself where I couldn't make a fist. There was no reason for it. Wow. And every time I went to the doctors, so when I had the swollen hand, they're like, oh, you must have um, shut your, your hand in the car door or something. I'm like, that is really specific. <laughs> I think I would have remembered it. I think I would have remembered it. Um. But yeah. There's no
0: other explanation. <laughs> no other
1: explanation. <laughs> so, and they finally started saying like I had inflammation all through my digestive tract, but I didn't have like Crohn's or ulcerative colitis or anything like that, which I knew quite a bit about from my nutrition days. Mm. Uh, but like, you just have an infl- a functioning inflammatory bowel disease, and I'm like, what does that even mean? That like it means your bowels working somewhat, but there's inflammation everywhere, and I was like. But wouldn't that mean that something's not working if I've got inflammation in my bowels? So I was having huge issues with my guts. Um, I was having cold sores every, like, all the time. Like, and we're talking, like, not little cold sores. We're talking, like, cold sores that would, like, they were giant. They could be, like, a quarter of my face. Like, I had one where it was at the bottom of my lip. Went all, travelled all the way down to my jaw, all up my jawline, all around my ear, went in my ear. Like it was crazy.
0: Oh, is that the picture you showed me? Yeah, yeah, right. yeah.
1: Crazy. And uh, yeah, so that was happening quite frequently.
0: How, how long, what's the time scale of this then after Fiji? So you've. Like felt- eight months.
1: Within eight months, I was, I couldn't get out of After eight months, it just progressively got worse. Um, and then I got to the point where I was like, I don't think I can do this anymore. And then I got headhunted out of that company and went to another company. And I was like, it must be my job, not the fact hey. that I put heaps of pressure on myself or the fact that my relationship was really crap. Um, so I went to this other job where there was, like, it was a bigger company. I'm not going to name them. There was a bigger company. They were very well known around the world. And I was like, I'm going to get all this support and all this training. But I went to this other recruitment company and made, made a deal within my first two weeks, like, did that, I was doing really well, but then they changed my role in me. So instead of, and I always said I don't want to do any recruitment for the pharmaceutical industry, I just want to do medical devices. It's a really different type of sale in the pharmaceutical world, and I didn't like that. Um within, and I said I like business development, I didn't like account management, and within I think a month they flipped my role over, and I was like 80% in pharmaceuticals, 80% account management, and 20% business development. So I just didn't like it. I was like, I hate this job, like I absolutely hate this job. Um, did they tell you why they did that? I just no, see. no. There was so the other thing is as well. They were like, "What's your aspirations?" I was like, "I would love to be the BDM of the like BDM for the um, life, uh, life. What's it called? Like the life, life science. Life science. Yeah. Yeah. I wanted to be the BDM for that. That was like a long term goal. Um, and I wonder if the guy that was the BDM at that point was a bit worried that I was coming for his job, which I was. But <laughs> it was like so many years away that I would have been the case because every week I was getting into trouble trouble and I put that into quotation marks for stuff that I hadn't done and it was really bizarre so like I'd get called into these meetings every Monday every Monday I had a meeting it was like hey it was like well, for something I'd done wrong and it turned out I hadn't done anything wrong but it was consistent it was like hey so we've heard from your clients that you're too attentive and I was like what do you mean I'm too attentive I was like what do you mean and then so my and I would be speaking to my manager I'm like have you spoken to my clients? He's like, oh no, we've heard from somebody else who's spoken to your clients that they're not happy. And I was like, you call my clients. I want to hear it from you because you got to call them. So I, my, my manager went and called all my clients, never any problems. Um, and then I knew I was kind of in a pretty bad place when my grandma passed away. Um, so I ended up saying, During this time as well, I'd broken up with an awful relationship, which was a blessing in disguise. It was absolutely amazing. I just had to move back home to my mum, which wasn't the worst thing in the world at that point in time. My grandma died, and so I had to go to the UK for her funeral. And when I went away, I created a spreadsheet of all the clients that I had, like, roles on with, gave it to my team leader, and I said, this is what you've got to do. Messaged all my clients, said, hey, I'm going to be out of the country for about a week and a half, two weeks, while I go to my grandma's funeral, yada, 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 yada. I came back to an absolute shitstorm. Like, I, I got called while I was still in the UK. I got a call from my manager going, you've got to come back early. Can you come back early? I'm like, from my grandma's funeral, he's like, yeah, yeah, you need to come back early. I flew back early, so I think I landed at midnight one night. I had to be up at 6 a.m. the next morning to catch a flight to Sydney. Flew to Sydney, got off the plane, got hauled into a hotel room. They called one of my clients who was supposedly losing their mind at something that I didn't do, Put it on loudspeaker. I had three people around me, like, being put in this situation. I was extremely jet-lagged. I hadn't slept for about three days at this stage. Put me on this call going, this this client was going, you told me you were going to do this, and you told me you are going to do that. And I was like, I'm so sorry. There's been a misunderstanding, yada, yada, yada. And then, um, yeah, like, they ended up, like, my manager came in and said i said something wrong. And then I just turned, like, so they hung up pretty much. And I remember my manager, I knew I was in lots of trouble at that stage because I was just like don't know. I was exhausted. I'm like, I've gone from smashing out deals to getting called into meetings for stuff that I hadn't ever done, having issues that I've never had in my life before. And I'm like, looking at my manager, he's like, you handled that call really badly. I'm like, well, what did you think was going to happen? I'm jet lagged. I'm stressed out. I've had to come home early from my grandma's funeral. You've put me in a hotel. I'm on loudspeaker to speak to a client who was actually being unreasonable and you knew they were being unreasonable, but you wanted me to be tell them that I was the unreasonable one when I had... I've got emails saying, hey, I'm out of the country between this date and this date. So they didn't have my back at all, and I was like, oh, this isn't working. And
0: do you, do you think then that it was just the the company culture? Um, yeah,
1: except for internal issues, which I kept to myself. Like, I'm quite a, like, kick to yourself kind of person. So that role didn't work out for me, but I probably... I was still really sick. I was still, I was very burnt out at this stage as well. So I can't, there could have been an element that maybe I was doing something wrong, but I was so burnt out, I couldn't see it. And still to this day, I look back, I'm like, I really don't know what happened with that role. But after that role, I got to the point where I was like, I am so physically, mentally and emotionally exhausted from everything that I've gone through over the last few years, that I'm just going to take some time out. And that was when I really realised, I I didn't realise at that point that I was burnt out, but I took eight months out of recruitment chilled out, did my stuff, I had some savings, I was all good. Then I started feeling better, like feeling heaps better, I got my confidence back. Um, after that experience, it was a horrible experience, but I got my confidence back, I got like my energy back and all that kind of stuff, so I called up my old work, which I got headhunted out of, and I was like, can I have a job, because like I would really love to come back, and they're like, absolutely, but you've got to accept this promotion, and you've got to move to Sydney. And I was like, yeah, all yeah. right, why not, I'll do that.
0: What, what did you do... In that period, though, that's what I'm really interested in. Oh. So like eight months.
1: So I set up a sec and a business, um, <laughs> but my heart was, but my heart wasn't in it. My heart was absolutely not in it. I really didn't want to do it. So I set up another business, and I was like, got midway through, and I was like, I don't want to do this, so I stopped, and then um, went back into. Can help
0: yourself, basically, like because so uh, like we, well. when you said, when you said you said, uh, so in, in my head when you said you took eight months out, I'm like, so what did you do? Did you just like sit on the beach for eight yeah. months or? Chill on the sofa, sharing my car that sort of stuff. Like I did,
1: chill out. Like I didn't go like hard at it, but I did set up another business. But my heart just wasn't in it. Right. Um, it was another nutrition business, but I didn't. I really didn't like. I can't, I can't even tell you what that was called. That business. Um, because I only did it for like six months, really. But I really didn't have the heart for it. Um, and I was like, you know what? I just want to give recruitment another go. Like I was really wanting to get back into recruitment. So I moved up to Sydney. Um, went back into the same company. Still a phenomenal company. The culture of that company are amazing. So, th-
0: sorry, this is your first recruitment job? not your Yeah, s- yeah. So didn- yeah okay. I went
1: back into my first company that I worked with. They loved me, went back in, smashed it out. But that company started transitioning over, and I was like, I remember sitting down with the... I was really quite close with one of the owners slash director, and I remember sitting down with him, and I'm like, you're going to get rid of the recruitment arm of this business within the next 12 months. Like, you're going into contract sales teams. And he was like no no recruitment's always going to be I'm like no it's not yeah, 100% happened um but I I mean pretty much within six months I had completely burnt out again nothing to do with them everything to do with if I come back the second time around if I've got a promotion I've got to really push it and so I went back in and I had a really tough time living in Sydney like I think I had to move in this nine months I was there I think I moved apartments three or four times I was never really settled and uh Just for, like, really random things. Just, like, I moved in with this girl and she's, like, oh, the lease was up. I'm, like, you told me the lease was lasting for 12 months. And, like, I moved in with, like, one of my mates. And she's, like, I'm really, like, I'm really homesick, so I'm going to move home. So I had to move out. Like, it was just a lot of, like, it had nothing to do with, like, it was just bad situations. It was, like, yeah, anyway. So I ended up, and I don't, because I hadn't learned how to manage my stress or deal with my anxiety properly ever... I burnt out again within six months and I ended up just, like, going, I can't do this, like, again. And I felt really bad for the company because they really believed in me, but I just had to quit. And that was the first moment that I realised I've got a really bad issue with managing my stress and preventing burnout. Like, I, I don't do this well. And so I took some time out, took about 18 months out, wrote some books, don't ask, it was a really random time. But I, really, really what I did was I started understanding how I manage stress and how unsustainable and the habits that I had were
0: and what so, made you like Because, you know, obviously this is your field but like how how common is it for people to be that introspective where they can actually recognise that they've got an issue of stress because I imagine some people just go through their lives
1: well I had no idea until that time I feel fortunate at the in my late 20s early 30s that I started realising I've oh, got a huge issue right now um, but my body was screaming at me everything was screaming at me like I'm like I keep feeling like it was like my stress was on a roller coaster like recruitment was a roller coaster but my stress was on a roller coaster like I'd feel really good and then I would get I'd hit really really low lows and I just couldn't pick myself up I'm like this is my way to live like this doesn't make sense and so I ended up kind of taking a step back and really thinking it's like you know what you've got a double degree in nutrition and physiology figure it out And so I really started understanding the impact that stress has on our physical health because that was the thing that was bothering the most because my physical health was so bad at this stage. Like I couldn't walk up and down stairs at one stage because my joints were so swollen and I couldn't go to the gym anymore. And like there were so many things I couldn't do that my body was just, screaming at me that it needed help and then on top of that I went from being really motivated really driven really goal orientated to being like I could not give a rat's ass about anything like anything I just didn't care I didn't care that I was living at home at my mum's which was something that I never wanted to do in like my late 20s I was like I couldn't care I just and it was really unlike me not to care and this is where everyone's like are you depressed I'm like I don't think I'm depressed I just don't care like I just don't care um and that was really unlike me and it, like, it scared me a little bit because I'm like, but I really want to be like, I, I know I'm motivated. I want to feel those things again. And so I just took a lot of time to like, really understand myself and really understand like how I dealt with pressure, how I dealt with stress, how, how I burnt out. And it was realistically, I just didn't take care of myself properly, like physically, mentally or emotionally I didn't know how to set my days up appropriately to be as productive as I could. And so therefore that impact how I could perform sustainably. So at this point in time, like I could perform at a really high level in whatever job I wanted to for a period of time. And then my body and my mind would just shut down. And I'm like, that can't keep happening. I've got to stay at a high level or at least like not go to the point where it's like, yeah, I'm performing really high and then just drop off a cliff, right? Like you don't want to do that. It's okay to have a bad couple of days, but I'm we're talking like, couldn't get out of bed yeah <laughs> like that's a bit of that's a little bit different and so i really started understanding like adrenal fatigue like chronic fatigue at this stage burnout hadn't been a diagnosable syndrome it was just something that a guy back in the 70s talked about and so i was like i think that this is a thing like but there was no like the world health organization hadn't come out about it there was no one talking about it as a diagnosable syndrome It was kind of just like a a thing um, And so during that time, like, I also decided, like, so I've got myself into a better place. Like, I got myself into more more sustainable habits, um, started really researching a lot. And then I decided, then I met my fiancé. And he's like, do you want to travel the world with me for a bit? I was like, yeah, why not? So I traveled the world with him. We moved to Vancouver. I worked in sales, helped open up a gym there. And then after a year, I was like, you know what? I earn a crap load of money, like, in that job. And I was like, you know what? I'm just going to save that, and then I'm going to set up... My business. I'm gonna give, give do another business because I was like, I feel like I could do another business, and I really wanted to do something with corporate. Really wanted to do something with like well being and kind of merge my two loves, which was like sales, like corporate and well being, and put it all together. So like corporate well being programs and stuff like that. So I still didn't know how it was gonna work because I knew I wanted to bridge the gap between understanding how stress impacts our physical health, our performance, um, how it impacts businesses with sort of like you know how I could put that into corporate well-being so it took me a little bit of time to figure it out so I moved to Costa Rica and that's when it all came together because I took myself out gave myself like nine months to really understand how I want this business to work how I want to help people Um, and then once I figured it out I was like there ain't too many stressed people in Costa Rica so I'm going (laughs) to move somewhere where there's there's a lot of stressed people Um, because realistically i just didn't want people to feel the way i felt because in my head i'm like i can't be the only person that struggled with this like you hear about type a professionals you hear about you know highly motivated people and a lot of the times after a while something happens where their health deteriorates or something just happens to them where they might be it might be later in life like they get cardiovascular disease they get heart you know uh, heart diseases and all that kind of stuff and i was like There's got to be a link there. And realistically, there is a massive link. So I just sort of immersed myself in that. And so I moved to the UK in 2018. And I set up Get Your Shit Together, which is what I'm doing now. And I've been doing it for five years. And... I wouldn't recommend people doing it the way I did it because I moved to the UK. I didn't know anyone. I was born here, so that's how I was able to move here. But I'd never worked here. I had no business connections. I had no business, any business here, really. Um, But I was like, I'm going to make it work. So when I moved here, because I had no one to introduce me to anyone, I just had to get out there. So I used to sit on, like, LinkedIn and, like post these really cringy videos and put up posts and...
0: What year was this? 2018. 2018, okay, cool. Because so personal branding, like obviously personal branding is like a really talked about thing on LinkedIn now. Yeah, I don't think it was then,
1: back then.
0: I don't think so. I think it was like you only just starting to see like personal branding experts sort of slowly appear, I guess, yeah. from LinkedIn.
1: Well... I'd never know personal branding was a thing until I met the guys at Hoxso. So, because <laughs> I did some work with them. Like yeah. I did. Well, that was when Hisham was working with them, um, and he had just started the recruitment rollercoaster podcast.
0: Yeah, he's, he's still doing that. He's doing He does. It's
1: changed. It's like mentor, like recruitment mentors now.
0: Shout, shout out to Hoxo by the way. Shout uh, out to Hoxso. Because um, I, I did their training as well, and it's really good.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So I didn't know about personal branding then, but that's pretty much how I set up. I just came out, posted these cringy videos, and then I just would send these messages to people. I'm like, hey, like, I definitely did some, like, cold LinkedIn messaging, which everyone hates now, and I definitely spammed some people. Wouldn't recommend doing it this way. But I had this, like this message where I would get people to respond to and it was like, hey, we all know stress is shit. It, like, ruins your physical health, your ability to perform, yada, yada, yada. I'd tailor it to whoever I was talking to, like, HR people or sales people or CEOs and stuff. But I'd message it and be like, if this this message doesn't relate to you, don't stress about it, like, don't worry about it. Maybe pass it on to somebody else. And generally, that message (laughs) kind of worked. I am not promoting spamming people. I am not promoting that. But I think I just, it was working back then. And after that, I just got my first few coaching clients. And then I sat down and would email companies, like HR people of companies, going, can I please come and do a free lunch and learn? Um, can I come and talk to a company about how like st- how stress impacts physical health? Um,
0: the free the free lunch and learn. So, so would you go into a company yeah. and just give a free talk sort of yeah. with, with the, I suppose sort of like, uh, it's not too dissimilar to like, say, a lead magnet where yeah. you're, you're trying to like, You're giving them something for free and then hopefully they would obviously work with you.
1: To be fair, it was kind of like that. But my mentality at the time was more like I really want to get into public speaking, Mm. but I don't have any experience. So why don't I, like if I would hate it if I went into public speaking and someone paid me for it and I bombed, that would make me feel bad. But if I bombed and it was for free, I'm like, eh, you know. It really doesn't impact me. It fuck doesn't it. really, yeah, <laughs> fuck it, I don't care. So I kind of used it as a training tool because I didn't have, at that stage, like I had $10 in my bank account. Like I didn't have a lot of money. So I was like, I didn't have time, like I didn't have money to go train or anything like that. So I was like, I've just got to make, I've just got to be good at it if I want to do this. And so I just started doing that. And then it's kind of like, get your shit together at a time. Was It came at a good time. I will say that like, it was just before the pandemic, but people were just starting to pay attention to, like, stress levels. Um, and when I first set up Get Your Shit Together, I thought I'd work with a lot of women. I ended up working with a lot of CEOs and MDs that were men, which was very interesting. I guess it's because it's an aggressive name. So I ended up...
0: I was going to say it as well, like, with that, because, um, again, swearing on LinkedIn was oh, very frowned upon, even just, like, four years ago.
1: I got into... So when I would go and do these public talks, I went into a bank and, uh, like, a really big bank in the UK. Yeah. And I was like, I'm going to do a talk for all of them. And so when they introduced me, it was like, we've got Katie Maycock here from Get Your Stuff Together. They <laughs> <laughs> um, wouldn't well, use shit, and it was really funny. But I just went... I didn't even think about it. I just went for it. Like, I didn't even think, and I was just, like, did my own thing.
0: Get your stuff together. <laughs> it <was laughs> no, it's get your shit together. Sorry.
1: Yes. So pretty much, I... Uh, yeah, that was pretty funny. But it is what it is, and... Um, yeah, so I said so I that, and since then, it's kind of just merged into what it is right now. So I do a lot of one-on-one coaching still with leadership, um, mainly CEOs, MDs, and like a few leadership teams, depending on the size of the leadership teams. Um, I train leaders, helping them understand how to spot the signs of burnout within their teams and how to intervene, as well as how to build Team based around high performance without stress, mm. um, and also helping them understand pressure is good, but this is what you're looking for. If someone's getting stressed out, and here are some of the really big things that you need to intervene in and when. And so, creating a really cult, uh, creating a really good culture within an organisation that focuses on that performance piece. Because I work with a lot of high performing companies, so like startups, sales teams, all that kind of stuff um and so I do a lot of that and then um it's kind of turned into like I do a lot of well-being audits so pretty much I go into organizations or survey their teams like different departments and stuff like that and I can usually pinpoint hey this is a big issue here it's going to lead to burnout or you've got like 10 people in your organization that are feeling burnt out right now when we know that it's 92% of the the likelihood of them leaving is like increased by 92% so we've got to manage it that way so
0: so by solving this one problem or or, or sort of preventing this one problem yeah. from occurring, you're 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 helping actually in a in a multiple ways because you're helping with performance, but you're also helping with retention.
1: Yeah, and um, making sure. Pe- the other thing is as well, like I work from the top down, so I really help the leaders understand what they've got to do and what they've got to implement to create high-performing teams without burnout. Mm. And then what I do is I work with the people because you can't take an approach when you're dealing with burnout within an organization. it's it's a dual responsibility. It's the responsibility of the company to create a a well-rounded culture to support everyone. But then you've also got to have the people that are, you know, the people, you know, from the bottom up, like your employees, understanding what they can do for themselves on a day-to-day basis to make sure that they're managing their stress, that they're taking care of themselves, that they're doing what they need to make sure that they can perform at the level that is required of them.
0: hmm yeah, I think I think that's important because um, I know I've worked in environments where it doesn't have to be about like, specifically about burnout, but it's just like leading by example. Yeah. Um, one thing I wanted to ask you actually was about work-life balance. Mm-hmm. So work-life balance, I, I don't think I've really fully understood it mm-hmm. because I thought work-life balance was a daily thing, like yeah. finishing at five, you know, and then being clocking off from work at six to ten. But then I've spoken to some other people, I think yourself included, and it's so different for everyone and how that looks. Could yeah. you could you just sort of, I suppose, define what a work-life balance actually is and what that looks like?
1: Yeah, so I think for me, when we look at work-life balance, it's different for everyone. So what works for you isn't going to work for me and for for the rest of the population, and I think... COVID really proves that. Like we all work in different ways. So mm. we've got to understand what that looks like for us. But I think having a work-life balance is being able to ha- have a job for sure, but being able to switch off and be present with your family, be present with the, hob- with the hobbies that you've got, be present with outside of work so you're not completely tied to your job. But also it's being able to go into work, being able to be the best version of yourself. So however you do that, like what's happening at home is going to impact what happens at work. So it's being able to have that balance where you can work at the best efficiency and effectiveness for you but also making sure that you're showing up as the best version of yourself outside of work and i think that's really important how you want to achieve that is going to look different to different people and it's going to look different at different times right Mm. so when i first burnt out like i could only work three days a week i had i had to i just couldn't do it otherwise like it just wasn't going to work for me and then so that looked really different to what i do now when i feel really i feel fine now i can work like five days a week, like, I'm cool with that. But I also know when to pick up the tools and put the tools down. And I'm cool with that. Like, I don't... I'm not tired to work. I don't have to check LinkedIn every day. I don't have to check my emails every day. My clients all know don't contact me <laughs> certain times because if you do, I ain't going to get back to you. Yeah. Like, it's being able to understand what works for you and what doesn't work for you and meeting yourself where you're at right now. And I think that's important to understand.
0: What about, so, in terms of, like, even stuff like hours worked and this is this is something i actually very i'm very interested in so cuz i got into a conversation with someone on linkedin about this and so first of all can you achieve in inverted commas greatness mm. by having a work life balance and also do you need a work-life balance if what you're doing is what you love like if if it's something you want to do all the time Mm -hmm. like I think of a professional footballer for example right a lot of these Mm -hmm. guys that's all they want to do anyway like Mm -hmm. Wayne Rooney he he used to finish training at Man United Mm -hmm. and then he'd be driving home on the motorway and stop in on a 5 or side football game and ask if he can play Mm -hmm. so can you will you still burn out even if you're doing something you're absolutely passionate about and you sure you can okay for sure
1: like freaking loved recruitment i freaking yeah. loved all my businesses like don't get me wrong this business i love this business but there have been times where i'm like oh if i don't read it in right now i'm gonna set myself up for burnout um but i think it depends because you've got to think about it just because you love something doesn't mean it doesn't cause you stress it doesn't mean it's not taxing it might just be a different kind of stress mm. and i think we've got to understand that it really depends on how it's impacting your life right like let's say For instance, I love working. Like, I freaking love it. Like, I actually do get a kick out of working. Like, it's just my natural setting. Like, I've always been this way. Um, But my fiancé would absolutely find it infuriating if I didn't spend some time with him. And so is that a balance for him? Like, I need to make time for the relationships that I care about as well. I love my relationships. I love my work. But they have to both fit into my life. And there's nothing worse than, you know, you don't want to wake up one day and realize you've sacrificed every single relationship in your life just to do the one thing that you enjoy. It's like, well, you probably do like other things in your life as well. And I think that's a really big, important distinction. And I do think you can be great with It's working effectively. A lot of the people that I, you know, you see these people like, I work, you know, 12-hour days, 16-hour days. I'm like, yeah, how effective are you in those 16 hours? Like, trust me, I've worked 16, 18-hour days too. I can promise you, you're going to get a good quality six, seven hours out of me in those, you know, 16, 18-hour days, but you're not getting much else out of me. Yeah. So... You need time to rest. You need time to restore because your brain can only take in so much information. It can only focus for a period of time. And everyone's going to be different, right? Like, I'm not saying that somebody out there can't do certain, you know, work 12, 16 hour days. I just don't think it's sustainable.
0: Yeah. So, like, you you, you perform at a high level, but there's always going to be a drop-off point.
1: 100%.
0: And do do you think that's true as well? Like, because there are always freaks, right? Like Elon Musk's, for example. Mm -hmm. But do you reckon he like even he has burnout times or or do you think some people are just like genetic freaks and they're like I think they can be
1: the the rarities yeah yeah but then you've also got to look at like everything else like we only see what Elon Musk wants to show us like we don't know what he like we only know what he's telling us and what he's showing us we don't know for a fact if he does any of that it's like you see these people it was really big in the noughties where it was like I sleep four hours a night and I hustle 20 hours a day it's like but do you? yeah like but do you? I don't believe
0: you at all. Do you know what? I find funny, right? So, because I'm, um, I'm uh, obsessed with, like, productivity, mm-hmm. like, to the point where I'm not productive. That's the, that's the stupid thing about it. And I sort of go through, I have to sort of, like, rein myself in. Mm-hmm. Um, I got sucked into the whole 5 a.m. start <laughs> thing, right? Which is still going around, the hustle culture thing. Mm-hmm. But what I don't think people realise when I speak to them about this is... You're like for me anyway, and I think for most people, if you're getting up at five a.m., yeah, that's fine. That sounds cool, but you're in bed by nine. Yeah. So you're not. It's it's no different than getting up at half seven and going to bed at half eleven. You
1: can't. Here's the biggest thing that people don't get: your sleep has to be the number one priority if you're going to do anything. Like I talk about diet, exercise, and sleep. Sleep is the first thing you have to get right, and sometimes we have to look at exercise and your diet if it's impacting your sleep. But if you're not getting a good quality seven to nine hours a day, and if you're going to tell me that you only need four hours of sleep in your in a day, I'm going to call BS so freaking hard <laughs> because your biology, it needs to sleep. Your body needs it. It's, there, it's designed to support you. Um, and so you have to be getting that amount of sleep. So there's no different, If you're getting seven to nine hours of sleep, like I have a client that loves to work until 2 a.m., why would I tell her you have to get up at 5 a.m.? There's no freaking way. I'm naturally an early, but I naturally wake up at 5.30 and I'm naturally wanting to go to bed at 9. I've always been that way. Even as a kid, I was like that way. So that's no qualms for me. But I don't get up at 5.30 to be the most productive person in, in the world. I just I start... Just with, when you get up. I just get up at 5.30. I do yeah. myself. Yeah, I go to the gym in the morning. Yeah, I start work at early. But I finish work early too, or right? I like yeah. design my day based around that. Like, you don't have to get up at 5.30 to be productive. That's just... I get the mentality, and it works really well if you are like working nine to five, right? Like, I get that because you get to do your own stuff before you have to go to work at nine. But like, I don't know. Like, when I worked in rec- like when I worked in recruitment, I was getting up at four just so I could do like my side hustle, like quotation marks, like inverted commas, whatever it is not quotation marks, inverted commas. But I was exhausted. I was only getting like six hours of sleep. I, like that would have Im- that that definitely led like definitely help helped me burn out for sure like it's yeah. just not it's just not sustainable but like I would go to work at 7 and I wouldn't get home until 7 so that would give me two hours to like do the stuff I wanted in the evening like eat shower and go to bed there was really no life mm. so like I would stay up until 11 just to like have something else because I'd get up so early do my side hustle go to the gym and then I'd be on the train at 7
0: yeah I think people they, there's always this assumption that like I said you're getting up early you're forgetting that they're then going to sleep early so when you're um, you know cooking dinner at 9 or watching Netflix from 9 to 11 that person's in bed they've already like,
1: they're, they're not getting they're Netflix.
0: not gaining hours on you no they're
1: not they're but, doing they're just, yeah. we only have 24 hours and if they the are
0: they, they'll be exhausted like for me I I, uh, I still do it like I still go through periods where I'm just like no I can do this or like I'll I'll look on Reddit for like sleep hacks like how can, I, how can I sleep less and there's never a way you can sleep less you
1: can't sleep less it doesn't make sense
0: or you take like you know caffeine and then I, I got a really bad caffeine addiction which was giving me mad anxiety and heart palpitations there's, 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 there's always a trade off right with your so health
1: I always say to them, like whenever I'm working with my clients and they're about to do something really stupid I'm like what sacrifice, you? sacrifice you're willing to yeah. own right now and they're like well I want to feel this one I was like well you're not so what are you sacrificing Sacrificing your well-being. Okay, cool. So, like, are you cool with that? And I don't want to hear you bitch and moan. Yeah. If you're gonna do that, I am kinda of harsh with my clients, so they don't normally do the stupid thing that they're thinking about doing because I work with all the type A professionals and like I found this hack, I found this, and I'm like, No, you didn't. Like, that's not a real thing. Yeah.
0: It's just a trade-off as it? It's just it's a
1: trade-off, like what are you sacrificing?
0: It's like um have you seen the movie Limitless? No, you should watch Limitless. It's got um it's Bradley Cooper, and uh basically it's about this guy, it's not a true story, unfortunately. But um, he he comes across this pill. So he's a writer, mm. um, and he's, like, a really struggling writer. He can't focus. He's unproductive. He's got an alcohol problem. And he comes across this uh, this guy, well, someone he knows has this pill. Yeah. Um, and uh, he takes the pill, and it's, like, it activates. Have you seen Lucy, the film Lucy, where she no. activates? It's, it's one of those old things where it's, like, oh, you know, we only use, like, half our brain or whatever, which has actually been proven to be bullshit anyway, but... Anyway, it activates his entire brain so he can use his entire brain and he's able to have, like, hyper-productivity and hyper-focus and he goes from, like, this really struggling writer to bashing out an entire novel in, like, two days. Yeah. And then he becomes, like, an expert stock trader um, and he he literally goes from, like, a nobody to, like... A somebody. Uh, ...on the front page of, like, Times Magazine mm-hmm. sort of person within, like, three months. Mm-hmm. But what happens is about halfway through the movie, spoiler alert, he, um... He starts like getting really bad side effects, mm-hmm. and one of the people in the in the in the movies like, because he's like, oh, I'm, I'm you know I've, I'm I'm really struggling. I'm losing like time. I'm 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 missing like four hours. He starts getting time skipping and stuff. Yeah, because his brain just can't process that work at that capacity anymore. Mm-hmm. And one of the one of the um, the actresses in it says to him. Uh, well yeah of course Like you're you're operating at like 120% of, of course that's not sustainable mm-hmm. um, it's a really cool movie I recommend you check yeah. it out but
1: there's always a trade off though there's always
0: there's a trade off yeah. but um, look last question because I'm just wary of time Yeah. but um, I can't believe it's been how long have I been speaking an hour almost an hour and 10 minutes absolutely <laughs> flown by um, how do you manage your day what productivity tips do you have
1: so, for me, the first thing is um, I make sure I get seven to nine hours of sleep. Like, seven hours for me is like my sweet spot, seven and a half is like where I like to. If I get more than that, that's great, but I don't normally. Like, it's just my body is like, you've had seven and a half hours of sleep, up you get. I'm like, okay, there we yeah. go. Um, I Because that is going to help you process information more effectively, it's going to help you process your emotions effectively, so you're not going to get frustrated, you're not going to get, it's going to help prevent anxiety stress all that kind of stuff and the amount of load of stress you can take on is really important so i make sure i always get enough sleep um i do this thing where i call it the rule of three so i love to be busy so it's one of those like i just do like to be busy but what i do is is i really hyper focus on three things that i'm going to do in that day that's going to make the biggest impact to my day so whether it's you know Getting new clients or creating content, whatever it is, I think of the three things that are going to be the biggest impact to my business or my day, and so I execute those three things. Um, and they have to, and that, it just helps me prioritize because when you run a business, it really is like you got a hundred and like hundred things to do. you could, yep. you could be doing a hundred things, but if I just can only do three things, I really, really focus on those three things and I get those three things done, and it's usually going to make the biggest impact to my business. We get into we get into habits of like just doing random things we think is going to help our businesses or help our day but they're not you have to prioritize if you can only do three things you are absolutely going to do the things that are going to make the biggest impact to you in your day so I do that um I make sure that I like I check in with myself in the morning so like how am I actually feeling because sometimes I don't sleep well that is just like I it just does happen sometimes so on those days I might just go okay cool like My three things might have gone from being, like, quite chunky three things to actually going, like, what can you realistically do that's not going to overwhelm you and not stress you out, but it's still going to – maybe it's only going to move you, like, a millimeter and, like, forward, but at least you're moving forward. So, that's the kind of stuff that I do. I turn my phone off um, when I'm doing those three things, so, like, I switch it off just so I have pure focus. Um, I also started doing this thing where I used to take calls or, like, do Zoom meetings that absolutely had no purpose. Like, I stopped doing the things where people are like, can we just have a chat? I'm like, no. Unless yeah. there's an actual reason, no, you can't have a chat with me. Like, I'd, unless you're there's, like, an expectation a desired outcome, like, I'm not just going to have a chat with you. So, like, I stopped doing that. That's been very, very helpful. Because there's nothing worse than when you're, like, in a flow state and you're like, shit, I've got to do a Zoom meeting and it's pointless. It's like, mm. it just annoys you. So, I, yeah, I stopped doing that. It's probably, like, my best, the best things that I do and I get all my clients to do as well.
0: And, and when you're uh, you're logging this, do you use any particular software, or do you just use pen and pad?
1: Um, pen and pad for me because I'm a old school girl. Um, with my tech that I do have, I use because I've got all the I, I products like iPhones, iMacs, all that stuff. I put focus time on, and that's extremely helpful. So like my phone switches off at certain times, switches back on. Otherwise, I just turn it off. Like. I really don't want to get distracted. Yeah. So, and I turned off all notifications on my phone. There ain't no notifications on my phone. I think I only get notifications if it's a phone call. Very, very helpful.
0: Awesome. And um, last question, public speaking, just to go back to that. Mm -hmm. What's your one tip for people who want to get better or into public speaking?
1: So I think the thing is when you do public speaking, I remember I used to get so, I still get nervous. I don't get me wrong, I still get nervous. But like, I used to get like so so nervous like I remember one of my talks I didn't sleep at all the night before because I was so nervous because I didn't want to make a mistake and you know I really wanted it to be impactful and something and after that moment I'm like this is just like this is just silly like I really want to do this but it's not sustainable if I keep going in with like it has to be perfect so my biggest tip is if you could go in and you know you're just going to impact one person and one person's going to walk away with one piece of knowledge that you've said you've done your job and that takes so much pressure off you and so you might have like an hour talk if one person walks away with one thing from one thing that you've said you've done your job you don't need to worry about anything else because if you go in with just knowing you can just impact one person you don't know what it is but you're just going in there going I just want to share my knowledge that's the best thing that I've that really helped me and I think it's also you know be be, be prepped but don't be over prepped like Know your stuff, but don't know it like I have to say word for word. Like what I do is i was, like, I know the content I want to get across. I don't know how I'm gonna get it across to you. I have an idea, but like I'm not like I never script out my talks, I never script out my workshops. Like I just know where I'm starting from, where my middle point is and where I wanna end. And I know how somewhat I'm gonna get there, but things happen like I've been in public talks and I can see I'm losing the audience I had to pivot mm. so don't be married to what you 100% have to do you've got to read the room so like don't be married to the script that you've created and right. like just know the content you want to get across and tell it like it's a story
0: just like let it flow organically it f- yeah yeah
1: that'd be my that's my best advice
0: awesome well look thanks so much it's been really interesting um really enjoyed this and definitely do it again sometime yeah for sure how can people find your stuff? How can people find your content?
1: So you can come and follow me on LinkedIn. Um, that's the best way. I've got an Instagram. So if you just go to getyourshittogether.io on Instagram, I'm starting to get my Instagram game up. Um, I've got a website, which is just getyourshittogether.io. Um, I'm doing a massive revamp on that right now. So you can go there. There's blog posts and videos and stuff on there if you really want to. um, But it's about to have a massive revamp in the next couple of weeks. So
0: yeah, you can go
1: there if you want to.
0: Cool. We'll um, we'll put all the links in the uh, description. So you should be able to find those um, below this episode or wherever you're watching it. And um, if you want to get your shit together, then just get in touch with Katie. (laughs) Thank you. Awesome. Thanks so much.
1: Thank you.